Hello and welcome to the Hope and Recovery podcast. I'm Alison Summers and my guest today is a gentleman who's been in recovery for four years now. He likes sport and he keeps himself active and it's an important part of his recovery journey. His friends and family are back in his life and he's also getting married soon. Here today to tell us his story is my pleasure to welcome Nathan Century. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alison. Welcome. So, take us back to where it started with your addiction. What what started to happen to you? My addiction started when I was eight and a half years old and I was being bullied in school for the colour of my skin. And uh, about two days after that, I got offered cannabis. I took it and then it just escalated by, by 12. I was taking pills, cocaine. 14, I was drunk dealing and then when I was at 18 I was a, a a drug trafficker and it was just it, it by then it spiraled out of control I caused numerous amount of pain to all of my loved ones uh, failed relationships I lost all friends kind of base and it was just yeah I was in and out in and out of jobs where I just weren't turning up and I was just yeah I was like a tsunami and I, I didn't realise until until um, I got to the very bottom the only way I could stop causing everyone else pain because I thought oh, I was just enjoying my life but it, I think it was it was enjoyable probably about 2% of the old time and um, started at 8 and a half and I stopped addiction when I was 31 that was that was a, a big core of my life mm. gone and um, I managed to still do well in school and uh, when I went to college I, I got into to the building trade very early but that was when I came into recovery I realised that that was one of the worst trades to be around because it's very prominent on there. Uh, I was going to the pub on Friday after work getting paid and then I was being picked up from that pub on the Monday morning going straight back to work, and I knew that that, that in itself is not normal behaviour. I pushed everyone that was that was closest to me away, and I wondered why. And then I was I was having voices, and it was causing me more and more pain. And I tried to end my life on the eleventh of June two thousand nineteen with an overdose of sertraline tablets, cocaine, and alcohol and then when I came around that my parents were there with me I started crying and I thought I need a professional kind of guidance I didn't understand about um, addiction at the time I thought it was just me being stuck in this party zone and yeah it was really tough and then I started afterwards the, the road to recovery so people talk about uh, inactive addiction, they talk about a rock bottom moment. Yeah. Would you describe the overdose as your rock bottom moment or was there another rock bottom moment? No, that was the only one. I've, uh, I went through stages of um, falling out with close friends during addiction, arguing over drink, drugs, money, women. And uh, it wasn't until then when I realised that I've, I've pushed everyone so far away that I was struggling to try and obtain their, their trust. And I've always, I've always been a person that craves other people's trust. 
I like the whole family and friendship type groups. And uh, when I took a, a, a overdose, um, I just tried stopping that pain, but I didn't want to die, but I wanted to stop causing everyone else pain. And that was the only way out. Mm. And that was tough, very tough. But I'm glad that um, I'm glad that I got to the rock bottom as early as I did at 31. Otherwise, I could still be in addiction now. Yeah, and and it seems like that you have um, that's been a huge chunk of your life, the addiction mm-hmm. life from a very young age. Yeah. When you look back at your schooling and things like that, you came out with some qualifications. Yeah. Does that surprise you, given does, the lifestyle that was going on? It does, yeah. Um, but it, it just it just reaffirms me that if I wasn't in that stage then, I could have gone on to bigger and better. I, I managed to come out with 13 GCSEs, yeah. A star, A's, B's and C's. I don't know how, but it's probably... God working for me, realising that he still had a plan for me, even though I was in pain. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, I, I then, um, when I was 21, I had um, a scholarship to go to uh, America. I was on TV on a football idol. There was, there was about 4,000 people, and I, I turned up at a QBR training ground with my dad. And I played and played and played and I kept going through. And I thought, hang on a minute, like, how am I going through? Like, I was still smoking cannabis. I was still drinking at the weekends. But I, I was still going through. And then got through to the final 120 people, that 4,000 people. And I got asked to go t- to America and do a football scholarship. But when they done the criminals check, they realised that I'd been in trouble as a kid and I was on a, a curfew. And it all spoiled. And then that was when my addiction really took off. So that was like the consequences of your addiction was the fact that you missed out on going to America and your scholarship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And um, still to this day, I can't go to America till 2025. So I hear people talking about Disneyland and that, and I can't even go there. But it's just about patience, staying out of trouble, changing my life around and yeah it's going well at the moment so mm. I'm pleased so so 31 you decide that's enough or you hit that moment where that's enough for your addiction and that how, how did you get into recovery what happened next I, I was in a psychiatric ward and I thought everyone else was crazy and I weren't so I was going around cracking jokes and I wasn't getting anything back because I've, I've always been the uh, life and soul of the old party. If I'm nervous or I'm, I'm a bit weary where I am, I'd always crack jokes to try and cause people to smile. And when I came out there, I realised that I've got to change. And um, I started going to Change Grow living in Wells, and they, they are, I got 21 days clean. I was, I was really pleased, but it was really tough. And I still felt exactly the way I did whilst I was on drugs. So I thought, I can't just keep doing a cold turkey. I've got to actually do something. And then Change Grow referred me to Kenwood. And I remember, still to this day, I was driving down the uh, the gravel pathway. 
and I thought, I'm going to the White House. I thought, this, uh, this, is, this isn't a rehab, like a scary rehab that you see on the films, you know, cages on the windows and all that. I thought, I thought, well, well, I'm just gonna, I thought I was going to come here for 10, 12 weeks, go away, and then, then <clears throat> all of the staff in here would teach me a way to pick up drinking drugs and put it down. I thought I was okay. And then, and then when I turned up, I think it, I think I was here about two hours, and it and it all come over for me. I took it all in, and I cried for the first two weeks trying to go to sleep. I remember crying trying to go to sleep, thinking, "Where am I? What 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 am I going to do?" And then that was that was me putting down all of my brick wall, all of my masks I had on, thinking that I was still going to be Jack, a lad. And when all that came down, I knew that I had to just be teachable to everyone that had already done what 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 I've done. When I started doing, um, when I started going to the AACA on campus, I was hearing people share what what they've done and where they've come through and what they're doing now. And I thought, well, if, if it's clearly worked for them, I've got to try it. And I tried it, and now I continue every day to pray, do a gratitude list, go to meetings, sponsor people, and for the grace of God, I'm, I'm consistent, and it's the only thing I've ever been consistent with, so it's worked, yeah. Mm. And, and rehab itself, as an experience, how was that for you? The first two weeks you were crying, how, how was the other ten weeks? Um, scary. Uh, it takes. I think I was the first couple of weeks. I was crying, and I thought that I was just going to just cry my way all the way through, come out, and it was all going to be okay. I still, I still thought that I was in control. And as soon as I, as soon as I realised that me being in control got me to places, uh, police. Hells, um, you know, in 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 bad places, I realised that there's got to be a power greater than myself. I started off with my grandma that I was talking to. She, she died, and me and her was very close. And and I started praying to her, and then uh, to my brother who died too. And and it was all of the all of the close people that I I really felt a connection with that had passed. That I started channeling them and what they would want to see out of me and my life because I've always wanted, I've always chased that urge to do everyone else proud because I know that if I'm doing you proud, I'm I'm doing okay. I don't like people concerned about me. And then I then flipped it over to God. Started going to church. Started doing um meetings and the three quarters towards the end of my uh, time was really beneficial I really enjoyed it I enjoyed um, any like I I was volunteering too I enjoyed I enjoyed just doing stuff for other people without wanting anything back yeah it was really really special yeah so it sounds like a bit of a roller coaster road but towards the end getting the rewards of putting the work in yeah exactly that and what was what happened after Cameron what happened there um 
I had the foundation in place through Kimmer, but I knew that that first 12 months was very crucial, very crucial. And I still tried taking back the control. Uh, I moved away to Eastbourne and then come back. A failed relationship. And then I went to Barnsley for a year, come back. But I, I blamed Ken, where I was brought up. I thought everyone else had a, a, a problem, but I was okay. I, I went to these places to get a solid foundation of recovery in place first. So I came back when I was two years clean, and ever since then, everything's. I've got the um, I've got the mental capacity with God on my side to stay away from people that I, I don't want in my circle because. Every day, there's going to be past people around. There's going to be influences that could try and turn me off track. But I've, I've continued to stay on that track, and relapse isn't a part of my journey too. So it's good, yeah, very positive. But I know that I've got to stay grounded. Because there, you highlight an interesting point about the cost to come into rehab to get clean to stay clean and sober means sometimes you have to let go of those old associates and friends and people yeah. in your old part of your life yeah that's tough um, obviously uh, I, I thought these friends were friends but they weren't they weren't friends there's only one person that I still speak to who I've previously used with and gratefully enough he's my best mate and he's coming up to two years clean and sober. So it just just proves that if one of us get clean and sober, it, we then pass it on and everyone else just, just keeps coming through. So, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, um, well, hinted at it slightly earlier, about family. What, what cost was it to the family? What's your relationship like with them now? Um, it was... It was um, it was tough. I I didn't realise what kind of pain I caused them, but I made them, my parents very poorly. I I stopped talking to my brother, not through my own choice, through their choice, because I was so untru- untrustworthy. When I turned up, they wasn't sure if I if I was going to be calm and a nice v- version of me, or if I wanted if I wasn't on drugs, I wasn't drunk, I wasn't causing trouble, get, getting violent. They, it was as if I caused them to tread on eggshells the whole time. And police turned up at the door. Yeah, it was. Um, it was like I, I dragged them on the tsunami. Ride. The waves aren't aren't completely still, but they're still. You know, this is where 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 previously it was always up and down. I was always have a good weekend, then I'd have a bad weekend. It was just constant. They didn't know. And today, like I'm. Um, I'm an actual trusted person and a family. I can go around to my parents, do a bit of work for them, free of charge, just trying to help out. I can I can spend time with my niece and nephew. I get asked to babysit. It's, yeah, it's great. Wonderful it is, yeah. So it's uh, like the richness back in your life again. It is, yeah, yeah definitely. Because <laughs> in, in, uh, in the bit of background that you sent me and, and the stuff that I was reading... You said uh, that there's a, a quote here that I, I just loved about this was the fact that the family have the best version of yourself now. 
Yeah, they have. Yeah, it took it took a while, but they they fully support me, and um, I thought I thought that was going to be tough. I thought people was going to judge me and claim that it's just willpower and it's your choice whether you pick up drink or drugs. It's not. It's an illness. And I was like, I wasn't a bad person trying to get good. I was an unwell person trying to get well. And now that I've come, I've, I've crossed over the barriers of being unwell to well, but I will only stay well if I carry all of it on day after day. So I try, I try to stay grounded. I don't want, I don't want to be rich. I don't, I don't have that financial greed anymore. I'm just okay. And it's nice like that, pleasant. So, four years in recovery, congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. What does life look like now? I mean, what? tell us about the sport that you're involved with. Uh, I've just started a, a new men's football team. We channel, we channel people that have, that have had like a, a similar past mental health addiction, getting them through back into normal exercise that um, it's crucial for the endorphins in the, the, the mind uh, and um, yeah it's um, really positive we've just started training we're trying to arrange a charity game and it's 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 like a trusted place that everyone can come and share on his stories because after we all go go back to either a cafe or a pub none of us drink alcohol we all drink J2O's, our children come along too, which is nice. They're all playing in the garden. And we can all be our honest person, not trying to people please, like on a Friday in a pub drinking, trying to keep up appearances. We're just honest, and yeah, it's nice. And uh, do you train every day? How often does it run? We train on a Wednesday. I also play six aside on a Wednesday. I also am a season ticket at Crystal Palace with my partner and children too. And um, it's I just think it's it's very crucial to to have a time and a safe space. So when 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 work's a bit tough during the old week, I know that Crystal Palace is going to play at the weekend. That's my day of just total chill out, and and that's also socialising with with people drinking and I, I don't mind at all it doesn't um, I choose my company very carefully today and it, it's nice um, yeah um, we play on Sunday mornings we're in the Kent Cup as well so that, that also involves a bit of travelling days out we've got a couple of tournaments turning up as well at the end of a month is just a nice, a nice space that um, genuine people can come together. And when and when your your partner's children is playing with one of your other players' children, that's you can't beat that. Children smiling and playing around, it's nice. Yeah, very special. Very supportive as well. It is, yeah. Definitely, it sounds it. It really does. And um, I mentioned in the introduction about you said that you had cost of a, a relationship but now your life is very different and you're going to be getting married it is yeah um i've i've been involved with this female for a while a while she, 
she was my youngest boy's play school worker and we always got on really well and uh, for the first couple of years in recovery I was always scared of the commitment I was trying to take back the control as I was speaking about earlier and it wasn't until everything just went still and I just kept praying on it and praying and praying it and I took my time I was very cautious because previous relationships have collapsed so I was a bit scared and I just took my time I was honest I was truthful and now yeah we we um we just recently got engaged and we plan to get married next year with the after party at Kenwood to so yeah very 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 special that will be congratulations on that one thank you so if um, anybody's listening today that is either struggling with addiction or a family member that is being affected by somebody what would be your things that you would like to say to them where do I start? <laughs> <coughs> the scary, the scariest thing is is um, not knowing what's going on, but you're you feel like you can be in a place with three hundred people, but it's just you there. Your head's like telling you that there isn't anyone else out there that's that's going through whatever you're going through. And the best thing to do is talk to people because suffering in silence is is costly. When I was at Kenwood, there was uh, I was I was with twelve other people. Um, there's only two of us still here. The other ten sadly passed through relapsing, and and that's tough. Um, you've you've got to realise that when that when one of us pass, it's not just you. That's the only one that people care about. It's the three hundred people around you. It's close family. It's close friends and family of friends that you've met. All them people. You you can't be selfish and try and keep all of your thoughts to yourself. Like um, going going back, I I I probably realised I had a problem at about twenty, but I I, I kept being in denial. Going, that's all right. I'll just have a couple of months off and a couple of months on. I'll be okay. You just, you just got to strip yourself of all of the covering up that you're trying to do, people pleasing, and strip yourself back to the bare you and just be vigorously honest and talk. And it will, it will work out. And also, it's, um, it's tough. Like people think that it's easy to stop taking drink or drugs. It's not at all. It's not. It starts off very tough, and you have to continue. But it does get easier and easier once once you get a sturdy, I'd say, uh, a year behind you, and you're back into a normal routine of getting up, praying, gratitude, this going to meeting, speaking to others, and it takes you out of you yourself. Makes it ten times easier. Mm. Definitely, yeah. So when we think about future and, and hope, what does hope look like for you today? Um, that's, a very, that's a very tough question because um, I'm, I'm just grateful to be able to wake up in the morning and know what, what I've done last night know that I'm talking to everyone, that everyone I care about is still is still in 
my life. I'm grateful that I don't have that urge to pick up a drink or a drug. Um, and I care about everyone else. Like I can, I can, I care about strangers. Where previously it was all about me. Like I generally care about other people, and if I can help people with any words or any advice, I still, I still offer to drive people to meetings, do book work. I just, yeah, I just. Um, if I can stay clean and sober for the rest of my life, then that's perfect. But I know that I've got to continue the yard graph because when when life does turn up, it does get a bit tough. But that's where you got to dig deeper to be able to stay positive as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much for coming along today and telling us your story and sharing what you've shared today in the podcast. Thank you for no coming worries. on, Nathan. Thank you. My thank pleasure. You.